want to uh, read along with me, I'm reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, the story of John the Baptist. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message, after me comes the more powerful one, someone more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I'm sure that all of you have seen or you've heard or you at least have heard about uh, street corner preachers. Have any of you experienced the phenomenon of street corner preachers? Maybe when you've gone to um, a concert downtown and you're accosted on the street corner with someone with flyers in both hands and that kind of thing. Well, most of these folks, most of them, speak in a loud, abrasive manner. And uh, sometimes they carry large signs that announce the end of the world. Or they hand out flyers. They tend to be the subject of cartoons And oftentimes they are the butt of jokes, and unfortunately sometimes are jokes. My first encounter with one of these preachers was in 1976 when I was a student at Western Washington University. This man's name was Holy Hubert. Has anybody ever heard of Holy Hubert besides when I talked about him last year? (laughs) Um, Okay, well, let me tell you a bit about Hubert. Hubert had a reputation. He traveled up and down the West Coast in the 60s and the 70s preaching the gospel. And he was uh, hospitalized a number of times. Uh, One time in particular at the University of Washington, uh, he was preaching to the Black Panthers, a militant uh, African-American group, and they almost killed Hubert. They put him in the hospital. But he had a reputation, and and each spring um, we would wait for him to show up on our campus And I'd only heard about him because my brother attended the University of Washington and had talked about this guy. And uh, I heard him long before I ever saw him. Western Washington University has Red Square, and it's a big area with a fountain in the middle. And came out of class, and you could hear this screaming and yelling. And people were gathered around the fountain, and, and there standing up on the edge of the fountain was Holy Hubert. I don't know what his real name was, but he was frightening. I mean, he was probably my age, and uh, he had no hair. His head was completely blistered and brown from sun. He was missing teeth. Uh, he had this gravelly voice. Uh, he, he didn't have the voice of God. He had, he had the voice of uh, Stevie Nicks or somebody like that, who uh, Rod Stewart. I, I don't know, but um, he, was, he was scary. And uh, I was so frightened that uh, he would say, well, if anybody's a... A follower of Christ, raise your hand. And, you know, at that point, hoping that no one knew that I actually believed the same things that he was talking about. And uh, it went on and on, and people were throwing things at him, and they were uh, uh, doing all kinds of unspeakable things in front of him. And he kept preaching. And, of course, the message was not necessarily one of love and grace, right? I was wondering 
during the time that I was listening to him, how in the world anybody could ever respond to a message like this. And yet, at the end of the time, there were students gathered around him sincerely asking questions about faith and wanting to know and uh, what, what it was that he was talking about. And I would never have believed that. I, I, I've never heard of whatever became of uh, Holy Hubert. He, he probably is a covenant pastor somewhere uh, in the Midwest. <laughs> I don't know. Mellowed out over the years. Um, well, I do think there's a place, by the way, for street preaching. Um, but I find most of it offensive. And, and I know that most of you do as well. And here's the problem. This kind of preaching announces the good news in such a way that it becomes bad news. The content gets lost in the delivery. And uh, it's based on fear rather than hope. And what's missing in most cases is the message that God loves and forgives all people who come to him. And uh, we don't hear that very often. Well, in religious circles, okay, John the Baptist is often considered the prototype of the modern-day street corner evangelist, the hellfire and brimstone preacher, the Holy Hubert of uh, the first century. But if you take time and you read about John, both in the Gospels and elsewhere, you'll discover that although his appearance was probably frightening and shocking and his manner was probably, not probably, it was bold and and aggressive and, and abrasive and probably even offensive, his message ultimately was one of grace and forgiveness. And uh, this is where he parts ways with the uh, modern-day prophets. Like John, like John, not exactly like John, but like John, we have been entrusted to, as followers of Christ, with a message of grace and a message of forgiveness. The message of God's coming, not in wrath to destroy the world, but in love to redeem the world, to save everyone who turns to him and responds. This is Advent. And during the season and throughout the year, really, the church, that's, by the way, you and me, this is the church, we're called to prepare the way for Christ's coming. It's one of our primary jobs. John the Baptist reminds us that we are God's heralds. We're the ones who announce that the Son of God has come. We announce that through how we live our lives, through what we say, through what we do in a variety of ways. We announce that God, this one who is full of grace and truth, has come. As Eugene Peterson says, he's moved into the neighborhood and he's pitched his tent next door. That's our message. And I believe that the message begins with our own understanding of who Christ is in our life. And I recognize, even as I speak this morning, that some of you sit here this morning wondering what in the world Christ means to you. And how in the world can you prepare others to hear about him if you don't understand who he is? I want to acknowledge that I understand that. And so for some of you this morning, you need to wrestle with that. Who is Christ to you? What does Christ mean to you? What does it mean to have faith in Christ? Well, like John the Baptist and Old Testament prophets before him, our job, our calling, our privilege, our privilege, truly, our privilege during Advent is to point people to Jesus, to get them ready to meet him face-to-face here and now. That's our highest calling. That's our highest purpose. So how do we do it effectively? How do we do it authentically? How do we do it with integrity? What does it mean to be God's herald, one who announces that God has come to live among us? How do we prepare the way for ourselves 
and for others who truly want to hear the good news. How do we point people in appropriate ways to Christ? I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, you know, is this going to be one of those sermons on, you know, evangelism? You know, sharing my faith with people? Um, going door to door and passing out flyers? I hope it's something more profound than that. Here's what I would suggest. Already alluded to it, but the task begins with us. All right? This job of pointing people to Christ, it starts with us. It is not the job of professional Christians like Andy or myself. Well, what do we pay you for, Pastor, if you're not out there pounding the streets? I was sharing a story this morning with the teachers. Previous church I was in, some good friends of ours, every time they would invite an unchurched couple to their home, they would call Darlene and I and say, we're having this couple over. They're not Christian. Would you come over and meet with them? I hated that. But you know what? We went. And in one case, it was pretty amazing actually what happened. But my point is this, right? Don't call me. No, no. That's not my point. The point is this, that it's all of our jobs. You have an incredible opportunity with people you know. Much more than calling the pastor in to bring down the hammer, right? That's not how this works. You have relationships with people. You are adept at preparing the way. You've already been doing that in the lives of people in your life. And I want to encourage you to keep doing it. But it begins with us. We need to look at who we are who we are really, and how we live. How we live. John the Baptist had an effective ministry. Now, when we read this account, we read that all of Jerusalem went out to him. All of Judea, the whole place, everyone went out to see John. Mark says people flocked to listen to him, to submit to his baptism. Why? Why did they come? Did they come to see some sort of a freak show? Maybe. But I believe they came to see a great man. In fact, Jesus said about John that he was the greatest man who ever lived. And I believe they came to hear an authentic word from God. A real person. An authentic word from God. John impacted his world because I believe he embodied some characteristics that were so compelling that it won him a hearing among those who listened to him. So what were the characteristics? Can we possibly draw anything out of this text and apply it to our own lives? Does it mean that we all have to go live in the desert and start wearing camel hair coats? And, well, maybe that would be okay. And belts around our waist and eat locusts and wild honey? What does it mean? How might we understand these characteristics and apply them to our lives so that we can truly, authentically point people to Christ? That's the question. Well, let me give you some ideas. First of all, an effective herald of God, an effective person who points others to Christ, lives the message. He or she lives it out. John was a person who lived his message. Now, you may say, well, that's extreme. That is so far removed from my experience that I cannot relate to that. Hang in there with me. He lived his message. He lived with integrity. Have you heard me talk about this before? What he did, what he said, who he was, 
were consistent with what he believed and what he spoke, what he preached. There was no disconnect. And sure, it may have been extreme. It may not have been as extreme for those times. In our experience, it seems like it is. But there was integrity. I want you to think about these three aspects of his life that this passage talks about. It talks about where he lived. It talks about what he wore. And it talks about what he ate. Now, as I was working on the sermon this week, I thought, you know, this is pretty interesting. Because we read this and we go, well, he lived in the desert, right, in the wilderness. He wore weird clothes and he ate weird food. So what does that have to do with me? Well, I'll tell you exactly what it has to do with you and with me. What does our place of living, the things we wear, the things we, what, what do those things say about us? Don't they say a great deal about who we are? I think they do. I think they do. He lived, John did, in the wilderness, or like I said, in a desert. And not just any desert, it was probably one of the most desolate places in all of the world. A limestone desert that stretched from Judea to the Dead Sea. It was an awful place. He was not a city dweller. He would not have thought that the Pearl District was a great place to live. Although he probably would have fit in better than we think. He was a man who preferred remoteness and solitude. And the question is, why? Why would anyone in their right mind live like that? This is what I believe. I believe he chose to live like this so that he could give him chance, himself a chance to hear the voice of God. Sure, it's extreme, right? But he chose to live like that. I want you to think about something. I want, to think, I want you to think about where you live. And I want you to think about how that place where you live either helps or hinders you from hearing God's voice. And I want you to consider the possibility of how you carve out a wilderness experience in your own life, in the place where you live right now, to hear God's voice. I'm not suggesting you sell your home and move to central Oregon. And I don't mean Bend. It's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that where we live has a lot to do with who we are. Where do you listen for God's voice? Then there are the clothes that he wore. Clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Not a real fashion statement. But in line with the Old Testament prophets, he dressed in a manner that was consistent with who he was. He looked like Elijah, or like people might have imagined that Elijah looked. He chose to dress simply, and as one commentator suggests, to avoid the luxuries which kill the soul. I'm not suggesting you sell your wardrobe, but I am going to ask you this question. What does your dress suggest about who you are? And I don't mean in some weird way, like, do you dress provocatively? What I'm saying is, what does it say about your values, about what's important to you? There was a time in my life that I would never buy anything except it came from Nordstrom's. I had a huge credit card bill. But you know what? That was my image. I had to look like that. I know it sounds weird, but it's true. What does your dress say about you? And finally, there was the food he ate. Food is a huge deal in our culture, isn't it? There are some incredible restaurants in Portland. Not on the west side, but somewhere in Portland. <laughs> you open up the arts and entertainment section of the Oregonian, and, 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 I, and I, I, my, my glands swell up when I read about these restaurants in the Pearl, you know? And uh, 
and, and I realized that, you know, that the whole food thing and, and it, it's so much a part of who we are, you know. What happened to people that wanted to go to Denny's? <laughs> They're dead. Their heart seized up. <laughs> the important thing to recognize is his diet was simple. It was a reflection of who he was. It was ample, but it was simple. Here's my point. Any one of us can preach a message through word or deed and not live by it. Words, my friends, are cheap. Words are cheap. It's easy to talk about not laying up treasures in heaven when we have a uh, robust bank account, isn't it? It's easy to talk about the blessings of poverty when we live in a comfortable home. It's easy to talk about walking through difficulties and overcoming problems when we haven't faced any. But in the case of John, the man was the message. He lived a fully integrated life, and that's the point I want to encourage you. It was extreme by our standards, that who he was and how he lived were in sync. They were connected, and I believe that's why people flocked to him. Second characteristic is this. An effective herald of God tells people the truth. Tells people the truth. Now, you need to listen carefully to this because I'm going to go in a kind of a different direction than you might think. That is to say that we tell people what they already know to be true in their hearts. That's the kind of truth I'm talking about. We tell them the news that they've been waiting their entire life to hear. That kind of truth. When I came to Christ, I had some good friends who had invested in me, who encouraged me, And when one of those people spoke the truth into my life and told me who I was and told me about myself, that resonated with me because I knew that he was telling me the truth. And the truth was something that I'd waited to hear for a long time. I put a quote by Plato in your bulletin. He said that education doesn't consist of telling people new things. It consists of extracting from their memories that which they already know. There are some things that God has built into us that when we hear those things, We resonate. And we go, yes, that's the truth. When you respond to the word of God, either through what you hear from me or through the singing, there's something in you that God has put there that that resonates with that. Remember the sweet times of being in classes, graduate school, and grappling with some issues, you know, and then having some instructor articulate something to me in such a way that it made sense. And I went, yes. I could never say it that way, but I know exactly what that is. People long for this. People responded to John's call for repentance because they knew in their hearts that they needed to repent and to turn around and to follow Christ. And we respond for the same reason. We don't respond because we're manipulated or coerced. We respond because God's word resonates with something deep in us. The most effective message is that which speaks to our soul. And that message becomes irresistible when it's spoken by someone who's earned the right to speak into our lives. People all around us are waiting for an authentic word from God. I believe that with all my heart. A word of hope, of encouragement, a word of grace that can change their life. But in order for us to speak that authentic word, it has to be real to us. You can't give away what you don't possess. You can't do that. So again, for some of you, you need to grapple with what that means for you personally. Who is Christ to you? What does Christ mean? 
for you. All of us recognize a doctor who has real skill. We all recognize speakers who know their subject. John was the authentic article. He came from God and he spoke God's word and people knew it. And they resonated with his message. Effective Herald is humble. We all need to hear this message. This is the third characteristic. John's message was effective because he was completely humble. How many completely humble people do you know? Not very many. In his own words, he wasn't even fit for the duty of a slave, which is what it means when he says he wasn't worthy to even untie the sandals of his master. John demanded nothing from himself but everything for Christ. His humility, his utter lostness in his message, in his mission, compelled people to listen to him. And here's the question. What are you so passionate about in your life that it causes people to listen to you? What is it? What have you given yourself to? And I mean really given yourself to, not half-heartedly. What cause or mission have you lost yourself in? had a conversation with someone the other day, and it was like somebody slapped me in the face. She was so passionate about what she was involved in. She was so moved by what she'd experienced in ministry that it moved me. I was ready to sell everything and go do what she'd been doing. Of course, I didn't do that. That's the question, though. What is it that you're passionate about? And I don't mean the Seahawks or the Ducks or the Beavers or the Broncos or whoever. Something bigger than that. There are bigger things, by the way. (laughs) What cause or mission have you lost yourself in? And finally... An effective herald of God points to someone or something beyond him or herself. It's not all about us. I get so tired of hearing in the church, not our church, of course, in the church, right? It seems to be all about us. It's my story. It's my Jesus. It's my gospel. It's my church. You know, it's my testimony. It really isn't about us, ultimately. It's about someone much greater than us. John told people that his baptism drenched them in water. But one was coming who would drench them in the Holy Spirit. Water could cleanse the body, but in John's words, only the Holy Spirit could cleanse the soul. This was his message. It was a message that pointed to something much bigger than him. I pray that as long as I do this, that I always point to something much bigger than me. And if I don't, you tell me. John's aim was not to occupy center stage. It was to try to connect people with Christ, with the one, the only one who could save their souls. What an incredible purpose in life. Preparing, right? It's the great theme of Advent. This time of year, almost all of us are obsessed or getting obsessed or are preoccupied with preparing. We're preparing for Christmas, right? We're getting the cards ready or not. We're buying presents or not. We're making sure that we have enough food in the house to feed all those hungry guests who come over. We all understand preparation. We're preparing to go places during the holidays. right? Our job as followers of Christ is to prepare the way for others to meet Jesus. We're to herald His coming. We're to announce the good news of God's grace to everybody who will listen We're to point other people to Christ through what we do and through what we say, just as John did. 
We don't have to be evangelists. We probably don't want to be evangelists. We don't have to be great pastors. We don't have to be great Bible teachers. We don't have to be perfect. We don't even have to be successful. We simply need to be faithful. Faithful to announce through both word and deed the good news. And then to seek to live it out in our own lives. Take care and make sure that you live with integrity. That there's a consistency between what you say and what you do. Tell the truth to people. Get to know them. Speak deeply into their lives. Do everything with humility. Above all else, make sure to connect other people with the one, the only one who is stronger and greater than they are, than any of us. Christ. If you do these things, you will win a hearing from people who desperately need to hear the good news. You'll be amazed. People who need to know the hope and the peace, the peace of Christ. Amen.